everyone, and welcome along to this week's episode of the Think Curiously podcast mini-series, The Weekly Stoic. Now, you may have seen a few videos on social media over the last week or so, on Twitter, on Facebook and Instagram, suggesting that this week in the mini-series, we are going to dive a little bit deeper into Stoicism. We're going to look at its founding members, we're going to have a little look back as to where it came from, but we're also going to go all the way back to my, my journey, the start of my journey and how I came about thinking about Stoicism and what experiences basically allowed me to understand or at least begin to understand why I reacted and why I behaved in such manners. So let's start our journey into Stoicism by rewinding the tape back to 304 BC. And we take up the story with a merchant named Zeno who was shipwrecked whilst on a trading voyage. Now at the time of the shipwreck, he pretty much lost everything that he had and it was on his journey towards Athens that he encountered two philosophers. And he was actually introduced to this idea of philosophy by these two people. It was the Cynic philosopher Crates and the Megarian philosopher Stilpo. And Zeno then would later suggest that those two people, the interacting with those two people, engaging with them completely changed his life. He said, I made a prosperous voyage when I suffered shipwreck. Almost as if to suggest that without them, he wouldn't have been introduced, without the shipwreck, sorry, he wouldn't have been introduced to them. He wouldn't have understood philosophy in the way that it did. And who knows, we might not have stoicism in the world if it wasn't for that shipwreck. However, he would then later move to what would become known as the Stoa Poikai. That literally means painted porch. Erected in the 5th century BC, the ruins of which are still visible today, some two and a half thousand years later, the painted porch is where Zeno and his disciples gathered for discussion. Now, it's not really well known that they met with the pure purpose of designing a philosophy. It was more that they came together to discuss their life lessons, obviously then from which Stoicism did evolve. And it is from the name Stoopoikile that the word Stoic originates. Agassiles, the king of Spartans, once quoted that he wanted to be the student of men whose son I should be like as well. And in layman's terms, that pretty much means that we should long to find a mentor whom we all feel connected with, almost as closely as a son feels connection with a father. And when we look at Stoicism, we need to ask ourselves a very similar question. We need to understand which role models should we look to to help guide us through our journey into the Stoic philosophy. And there's three, three main ones. The first, I'm pretty sure most of us have heard of, the Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius, the playwright and political advisor Seneca, and the slave-turned-prominent teacher Epictetus. These are the three Stoics that we first need to get to know. Now, the Stoic philosophy is based upon four main virtues. They are courage, temperance, justice, and wisdom. They are the most essential values in the Stoic philosophy. Marcus Aurelius once said, If at some point in your life you should come across anything better than justice, truth, self-control, courage, it must be an extraordinary thing. And that was written some 20 centuries ago, and since then we've discovered a lot of things, like cars and the internet and cures for diseases that we thought were death sentences. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, have we ever came across something more prominent than the four virtues? And have we ever came across a situation in our life or made decisions in our life that haven't included one of those four virtues, courage, temperance, wisdom, and justice? Over the next number of weeks, we're going to explore some of the most prominent figures of Stoicism as a means of gaining a better understanding of the philosophy and its origins. Now, you'll probably heard of some of them before, but maybe you didn't know they were Stoics or 
maybe you didn't know their backstory. So to kick us off, we're going to start off with Marcus Aurelius. Born on April 26th, 121, nobody back then would have predicted that Marcus Aurelius would one day be the emperor of the Roman Empire. The emperor Hadrian would have known the young Marcus through his early academic accomplishments. Sensing his potential, he kept an eye on the boy. What exactly Hadrian saw in Marcus is unclear, but by Marcus's 17th birthday, Hadrian had begun planning something extraordinary. He was going to make Marcus Aurelius the Emperor of Rome. On February 25th, 138, Hadrian adopted a 51-year-old man named Antonius Pius, on the condition that he in turn adopted Marcus Aurelius. Given life expectancy of the time, Hadrian figured out that this regent and mentor might be at the helm for about five years. All was well except for Antonius lived and ruled for 23 years later. In 161, as Antonius died and ended one of the longest reigns, Marcus finally became the emperor of the Roman Empire and ruled for nearly two decades until his death in 180. And for Marcus, Stoicism provided a framework for dealing with stresses of life as a leader of one of the most powerful empires in human history. So now that we have got an understanding of the philosophy, or at least a basic understanding that is, we're going to delve a bit deeper into what pushed me towards the Stoic philosophy and finding out a little bit more of how they lived their life and the virtues and the values of the philosophy itself. It was back in August 2020 when I was busy organising the 20, 35th wedding anniversary party for my parents, you know, texting friends, um, organising food, drink, balloons, as you do, and as well as texting my sister in the hope that she would do the shopping for me um, so that I didn't have to do it and I would pay her as happens pretty much every birthday, Christmas and anniversary and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that but I was in work and my phone kept ringing and I kept getting these missed calls from somebody who wouldn't normally call me in fact I don't think I've, I've had a phone call from him in the past so I knew something wasn't quite right so I picked up the phone, went outside and spoke to him and it was about two seconds into the phone call when uh, I, I remember just being sort of numb just not really understanding the words that were were coming through the receiver of the phone. And um, yeah, he was telling me that the a close family's friend's son had unfortunately passed away and the person he was speaking to and the father of the son who had passed away were very close friends of my father and still are. Uh, both of them were at the wedding. In fact, one of them was a best man at the wedding. So he was pretty much ringing me to tell me that news and the fact that they both couldn't make the party at the weekend. So a few days pass and it's a day of the funeral. I'm in work. I get out to go to the funeral. Um, I come back and about five minutes after I came back, I was met with a customer and I remember standing in front of him and his lips were moving, but I, I really couldn't hear what was being said. It was just kind of all of a blur and I could see his hands moving and it was obviously trying to communicate something to me, but it just wasn't going in. And then all of a sudden I just flipped. Something just happened inside me. I just lost all control. I started kicking things throwing things, punching things, threw a chair, kicked a cabinet, walls, you name it, doors, they all got it. So I went upstairs to the staff room, poured myself a glass of water um, and I was, all I can say was like I was so I was so shaken, I couldn't steady the, the pint of water in my hand to take a drink. It was almost like there was frustration or anger but I didn't really know where this was coming from. Obviously I had an idea that it might be attributed to what I just witnessed but I wasn't too sure and Probably a few months before that, I was speaking to my cousin who was speak who was telling me of of the book The Daily Stoic that he was reading, and some of the life lessons that were coming from it, and the clarity in which he was starting to gain of his own decisions and his own life through it. 
So when that happened, I thought, right, okay, so this is the best thing that can happen for me. But, but I didn't really do that maybe until a few months later when I went out and bought the books. I bought How to Be a Stoic first and foremost um, to understand the background of it and try and sort of guide myself through it. And then I bought the, the Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday, which this podcast is based on. And it's a book that gives you a wis- little bit of wisdom every day. There's one page per day per, per, day, per year. And uh, you you know you read that you take it with you you try and understand it and digress and digest it as such to gain your own understanding so that slowly day by day you gain a better understanding of the philosophy and how to live its values. So that's my story. That's where it came from. That's where I started to understand it. That's where I got involved in it and started thinking about it. And that's where this podcast came from. Essentially, this mini series idea. So as we kick off into episode two. Once again, I thank you for listening and I hope you take something from it. So before we move on to the Daily Stoic, or the Weekly Stoic as it is in our case, I just wanted to let you know of a book that I read towards the start of last year. It didn't really click with me that it had a lot of meaning until this situation I found myself in happened when I tried to understand why I reacted the way I did. It was a book called um, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. It was by Mark Ronson. Super book. I mean, the way that it's written, it's so leisurely, so conversational. You do literally think that when you're reading it, he's actually speaking and talking to you because of of the format and the structure of the book. But in the book, he talks about this idea of the fault responsibility fallacy. So as an, an extreme abstract example, you may be in the house one day and you get a knock at the door. By the time you get to the door, the person has left and on the doorstep is a baby, a newborn baby. At that moment in time... It's not really your fault that you're in that situation, right? You couldn't have prevented that situation from happening, but you now do have a responsibility over your actions. So do you take the baby in? Do you call the the child services? Do you call the police? What decisions do you make in that moment in time? You have full responsibility over them. And I guess whenever I look back at my situation, I try to make sense of it. That was the one thing that was missing was the clarity over those two, the difference, I suppose, between those two things was the situation I find myself in that day my fault. Because I definitely do have a responsibility for my actions and I do have a responsibility to think deeply enough about them to try and understand them, which is part of this podcast and this podcast episode and the weekly stoic and sorry, series is part of that. But when I look back, I mean, it probably was my fault in a way then because I, you know, I came, I came to work when I, when I wasn't really in the right mindset to do that. But as I said, the, the responsibility still lies with me and it's now about trying to figure out, can I put things in place now that I can recognise certain emotions that come on and, and try and prevent myself from getting back into that whole situation that I find myself in again? I mean, that's a, that's the one thing I suppose it gets me is like, I've never felt like that before. I've never reacted like that before. So is there a possibility that future on down the line that I'm going to encounter that again and bang, my head's going to go and the situation could potentially be a lot worse. And I'm not sitting here saying that I, um, I've i got an issue, an anger issue or frustration issue or anything like that. But it does, I suppose, it makes you think whenever you go, well, I literally had no control over my actions. Like I could see what I was doing. Obviously, I could feel what I was doing, but I couldn't stop myself. The only thing that I can um, liken it to was a number of years ago, I was with uh, a friend of mine and we went to watch a psychic, uh, sorry, not a psychic comedian, a, a hypnotist. Uh, in the university and he looked for volunteers and I went up I was a volunteer and he was basically got me hypnotized and I was running around the stage as a chicken laying a square egg uh, sorry a square egg with sharp edges 
Um, so you can imagine the shape of me running around the, the, uh, the stage that day. But the second part of it was that I had won a lottery ticket. I dropped my glasses and somebody had stamped on my glasses and I couldn't see. So I was frantically on my hands and knees, moving people out of the way, pushing chairs out of the way to try and find this lottery ticket. At that moment in time, it was weird because I knew what I was doing, right? And I could see my actions. I could feel my actions. I was very well aware that I was being a chicken. I was very well aware that I was on my knees trying to search for a lottery ticket that ultimately wasn't there. But I couldn't stop myself from doing it. Now, obviously, because I was under the power of hypnosis at that stage and maybe the situations don't quite align. But that's the only experience that I can relate back to and think, well, actually, I've felt like kind of similar like that before. But as I said, the process is now to try and understand, well, what it was and how I got through it. And then maybe... Is there potential this can happen again? And if there is, what am I going to do about it? And that's essentially, in a nutshell, where this whole idea behind reading Stoicism came from. So because of that experience, because I have remembered um, reading that, that book and I remember now the fault responsibility fallacy example, I've decided to do things a little bit differently this week on the podcast. So rather than reading seven days worth of wisdom in a row and having no real meaning attached to them, I'm going to pick just one, uh, one quote and then one explanation and talk about the reasons why I've chosen that. And then at the very end of the episode, I will read them in daily order. So that if you wanted to, you can skip to them. You can get some, some meaning that way. So the one that I've chosen this week is January the 8th and it's on page 16 of the book. And it has been uh, written by Seneca. It's about seeing your addictions goes something like this. What we consider to be harmless indulgences can easily become fully blown addictions. We start with coffee in the morning and soon enough we can't start the day without it. We check our email because it's part of our job and soon enough we feel the phantom buzz of the phone in our pocket every few seconds. Soon enough these harmless habits are running our lives. The little compulsions and drives that we have not only chip away at our freedom and our sovereignty they could cloud our judgment. We think we're in control, but are we really? As one addict put it, addiction is when we've lost the freedom to abstain. Let us reclaim that freedom. What that addiction is for us can vary. It can be soda, it can be drugs, it can be complaining, gossip, the internet, biting your nails, but you must reclaim the ability to abstain because it is within your clarity and your self-control. So if you think about that, I mean, what do you do on a daily basis that you don't really notice you're doing <clears throat> and what could potentially have a negative effect on your judgments and what could cloud those judgments as they talked about um, in the book previously, understanding the uh, connection between your decisions and ultimately your actions and being able to differentiate between what you can control and what you can't control. So for me, over the last week or two, I've been trying to think about, well, what is it in my environment that I can either maybe block out or maybe situations I get myself into, I can withdraw from if I don't believe that they are positive experiences. And you know what? The one thing that came to me was this whole idea of comparison, right? We're constantly looking to compare ourselves with other people. You know, we do it on Instagram, we do it on Facebook. And the other thing that really drives me insane is When you're in a situation where somebody else is talking about somebody else, you might not know the person they're talking about, but you just seem to get dragged into the conversation. It's like, it's almost like you paint a picture of the person that this other person is describing, either negatively or positively, and then you feel 
a need to get involved in that conversation when you don't know the person they're speaking about. And I suppose that is not, not essentially the definition of an addiction, but if it becomes consistent and you find yourself in those situations where you're getting engaged in those conversations that have no real positive outcome and you're only doing it because everybody else seems to be doing it or because you believe it's the right thing to do in that moment in time to be part of that social context and be part of that, that group, then I think we, there's an issue there because certainly with my experiences and trying to understand that and take a step back, as it says in the book, to abstain from that converse, those conversations can, be, can seem rude. It can seem as if you're disengaged. It can seem maybe a little bit ignorant. But I think you have to do that. You have to step away and look and say, well, that's actually dr- potentially driving the negative energy and negative thoughts that I have. And if I can just remove myself from one of those conversations a day, then hopefully over the, the course of the week and month and potentially year ahead, that those uh, those things won't won't allow those negative thoughts to come back. So that's the one thing for me that I've been trying to do is abstain from comparison, to not look at others and say, well, I wish I had what they had, to um, get away from situations where other people are putting other people down. Because again, like I said, that the negative phrasing and the negative body language that is displayed in that moment, I think, can subconsciously embed itself in you and then you get involved in that and it just drags you down and that negativity can can spiral from that. So it's definitely something that I've taken up. And the actual quote from Seneca is, we must give up many things to which we are addicted, considering them to be good. Otherwise, courage will vanish, which should continually test itself. Greatness of soul will be lost, which can't stand out unless it disdains as petty what the mob regards as most desirable. So basically that's what's, what I've just explained is that it may be desirable in the moments you get involved in that conversation where the other person's talking about somebody you, you don't know. But the mob, the people in that moment in time, they expect you to do that and it can be difficult for you to step away from it, just as he says there. Um, so that's that's really the podcast episode this week. Nice, short and sweet. And like I say, change it up a little bit, change the format to it because I think it really does hit home more when somebody gives their personal experience about it. And that's what I'm going to do, I think, moving forward. I'm going to pick one of them per week and talk in more depth about my understanding of them. So just one last time, that quote from Seneca about seeing our addictions is that we must give up many things to which we are addicted, considering them to be good. Otherwise, courage will vanish, which should continually test itself. Greatness of soul will be lost, which can't stand out unless it disdains as petty what the mob regards as most desirable. Hopefully you find that interesting. Hopefully you find it useful. Like I say, if you want to hold on, you will hear back to back the seven days worth of quotes. If not, obviously you can you can um, hit stop now or pause now in the podcast and maybe come back to it at a different stage. Thank you once again for listening. And if you have anything you want to say about the podcast, if you maybe want to come on and talk about your experience of, of stoicism, I would love that too. So just get in touch with me through all the usual means, through social media, through Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, or Twitter. So thank you so much for listening. And like I say, the next part will be the seven days worth of quotes. So we'll pick up just on January the 9th, okay? Because we looked at January the 8th there previously. What we control and what we don't control by Epictetus. Today, you won't control the external events that happen. Is that scary? A little, but it's balanced when we see that we can control our opinion about those events. You decide whether they're good or they're bad, whether they're fair or whether they're unfair. 
You don't control the situation, but you control what you think about the situation. See how it works? Every single thing that is outside your control, the outside world, other people, luck, karma, whatever, still presents a corresponding area that is within your control. This alone gives us plenty to manage, plenty of power. Best of all, an honest understanding of what is within our control provides real clarity about the world. All we have is our own mind. Remember that today, when you try to extend your reach outward, that it's much better and more appropriately directed inward. January 10th, if you want to be steady. The Stoics seek steadiness, stability and tranquility. Traits most of us aspire to have and only seem to experience fleetingly. How do they accomplish this elusive goal? Well, it's not luck. It's not by eliminating outside influences or running away to a quiet and solitude place. Instead, it's about filtering the outside world through the straightener of your judgment. That's what our reason can do. It can take the crooked, confusing and overwhelming nature of external events and make them ordinary. Or orderly. However, if your judgments are crooked because we don't use reason, then everything that follows will be crooked and we will lose our ability to steady ourselves in the chaos and rush of life. If you want to be steady, if you want clarity, proper judgment is the best way. January 11th. If you want to be unsteady. The image of the Zen philosopher is the monk up in the green quiet hills or in a beautiful temple on some rocky cliff. The Stoics are the antithesis of this idea. Instead, they are the man in the marketplace, the senator in the forum, the brave wife waiting for her soldier to return from battle, the sculptor busy in her studio. Still, the Stoic is equally at peace. Epictetus is reminding you that serenity and stability are results of your choices and judgment, not your environment. If you seek to avoid all disruptions to tranquility, other people, external events, stress, you will never be successful. Your problems will follow you wherever you run and hide. But if you seek to avoid the harmful and disruptive judgments that cause those problems, then you will be stable and steady whenever you happen to be. January 12th, the one path to serenity. This morning, remind yourself of what is in your control and what is not in your control. Remind yourself to focus on the former and not the latter. Before lunch, remind yourself that the only thing you truly possess is your ability to make choices and to use reason and judgment when doing so. This is the only thing that can never be taken from you completely. In the afternoon, remind yourself that aside from the choices you make, your fate is not entirely up to you. The world is spinning and we spin along with it, whichever direction, good or bad. In the evening, remind yourself again how much is outside of your control and where your choices begin and end. And as you lie in bed, remember that sleep is a form of surrender and trust and how easily it comes. And prepare to start the whole cycle over again tomorrow. January 13th, Circle of Control. This is important enough that it bears repeating. A wise person knows what's inside their circle of control and what is outside of it. A wise person knows what's inside their control and what is out of it. The good news is that it's pretty easy to remember what's inside of our control. According to the Stoics, the circle of control contains just one thing, your mind. That's right, even your physical body isn't completely within that circle. After all, you could be struck with a physical illness or an impairment at any time. You could be travelling in a foreign country and be thrown in jail. 
But this is all good news because it drastically reduces the amount of things that you need to think about. There is clarity in simplicity. While everyone else is running around with a list of responsibilities a mile long, things they're not actually responsible for, you've got just one item on that list. You've got just one thing to manage, your choices, your will, your mind. So mind it. January 14th. Cut the strings that pull your mind. Think of all the things that interests you that are vying for a share of your wallet or for a second of your attention. Food scientists are engineering products to exploit your taste buds. Silicon Valley engineers are designing applications as addictive as gambling. The media is manufacturing stories to provoke outrage and anger. These are just small slices of temptations and forces acting upon us, distracting us and pulling us away from the things that truly matter. Marcus Aurelius, thankfully, was not exposed to those extreme parts of our modern culture, but he knew plenty of distracting sinkholes too. Gossip, the endless call of work, suspicion and lust. Every human is being pulled by these internal and external forces that are increasingly more powerful and harder to resist. Philosophy is simply asking us to pay careful attention and to strive to be more than just a pawn. As Viktor Frankl puts it in The Will to Meaning, Man is pushed by drives but pulled by values. These values are inwards and inner awareness prevents us from being puppets. Sure, paying attention requires work and awareness, but isn't that better than being jerked about on a string?